Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, this is Football Social Daily. My name's Niall and loads to talk about on the Premier League agenda as always. Pay-per-view, it's been a topic of conversation for the last few weeks, but Mike Ashley, the Newcastle United owner, says that it should be cut by 10 quid from £15 to £5 a game. Is this Mike Ashley being nice for once or is he once again looking after his own interests? Gary Neville says it's been an absolute disaster. Nobody's watching it anyway and they should axe it completely. We'll discuss what the right pro is. Also, we'll answer your questions today. You've been sending in questions for us to try and answer, including the European Super League, retrospective action, and also Patrick Bamford, the lead striker. What does he have to do to get into the England squad? Plus, we'll be talking to Norman from the True Faith Newcastle United podcast as the tune are our feature club in today's Floodlight Focus. Alongside me on the podcast, we've got Tom Williams. How are you doing, Tom? Yeah, not bad, thank you. You okay? Yeah, very, very well. I've also got Joe McGrath. Hello, Joe. How are you doing, Niall? Good to speak to you, Mum. Yeah, and you, mate. Let's get straight into the action. We're going to talk to Norman a little bit later about Newcastle United. But first, we're going to mention pay-per-view because it is Mike Ashley, the Newcastle United owner, who's come out and mentioned that it should be cut down to a fiver. And interestingly, he's come out at the same time and said that it should be cut down to a fiver as the newspapers are reporting that this will also happen. So, you know, my question would be, I suppose I'll come to you first, Tom. If it was cut by a fiver from 15 quid to a tenner, would you still even pay a tenner to watch these games? Because at the moment, the games that we've seen have not exactly been top billing. 
Yeah, well, I'll, I um, I actually did this for the first time the other night. Villa versus Leeds. I paid fifteen quid to watch the game, watch the link. Um, I wish I hadn't paid the fifteen pound <laughs> to watch the link after the result. Uh, it's interesting that you talk about Patrick Bamford later. I really don't like him. Um, so, I mean, yes, I would pay, uh, but I would pay because I don't subscribe to Sky Sports. Um, I do subscribe to BT Sport. I subscribed on the last game of the season last year to see if Villa were going to stay in the Premier League. So, um, I think personally i would uh, but that's because when you compare it to a match ticket you know it's, it's a lot cheaper that said mm. the experience is, is nowhere near as good as, as you know watching a game on the box compared to being at the stadium but mm. with as a means to an end at the minute personally i'm paying but i'm not i'm paying because i don't subscribe to sky sports i think if people are subscribing to sky sports they're already paying what 20 30 quid a month to watch the games mm. they should be made available for free um and i'm am i right in thinking that season ticket holders for the clubs get the um get the the links for free is that right yeah, I think so. Yeah. There are some clubs that have kind of decided to do that. I'm not really sure specifically which ones have and which ones haven't. Yeah. But I thought it was interesting that you you kind of paid that 15 quid. I suppose there's a couple of questions off the back of that. One of them would be, did you only do that because Aston Villa are doing well? And if you were kind of in the bottom half, would you have still done it? And secondly, for your 15 quid, did you feel that you got value for money? Uh, value for money, no, because Robbie Savage was commentating. Um, <laughs> did, did I do it because Villa were doing well? Um, yeah, being perfectly honest, I probably did. You know, I, I didn't want to, um, you know, not the word ever advocate anyone using a link off the internet, but, um, you know, I didn't want to take any, any risks. I wanted to make sure I could watch the game, see how we played. And I also suspected it would be a really entertaining game of football, which if you're a Leeds United fan, it absolutely was. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I think you're probably right. There was probably something in the fact that I just wanted to see Villa continue the run. Um, mm. and, and so I paid the £15. Um, I felt dirty doing it, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was a right pain in the backside to, to actually get the get the thing to work in the end but um, mm. I did I just think I mean I suppose it's a wider debate and it's probably something you know it's been covered at length but um, I don't understand how cinemas can show the games you know and, and charge fans to go in and watch the games in the cinema yet we can't have socially distanced fans in the stadium um, yeah. and that's you know a completely different debate but uh, you know for me I think it's at the moment a means to an end but it is mm. frustrating um, and it would be more frustrating if I was paying for Sky Sports. And I think if I was paying for Sky Sports at a principle, I'd either cancel my subscription to that uh, or I wouldn't pay the £15 for the, for the individual games. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I'm glad you did talk about it because it's an absolute joke. How can you go into a clubhouse or a non-league bar and pay for beers inside, watch the game on a telly that's taking place outside? on yeah. the pitch outside like yards away from where you're watching doesn't make any sense but anyway that's not for us to debate as you mentioned Tom what about you Joe I mean Manchester United you're a United fan so I mean the chances of them being on pay-per-view are very slim because most of their games are televised by the big broadcasters anyway but I mean if it came to it would you would you pay a tenner I mean uh, 15 quid sounds expensive but a tenner all of a sudden sounds like it, it might just be acceptable uh, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't pay a tenner. And I think when you when I do look at the the circumstances where you would be forced to pay a tenner, you know, it's so difficult in the situation Manchester are in at the minute. Great Manchester because you know you'd say you could clump together with a couple of mates and chuck a couple, a couple of quid in each, but that's not allowed. We can't have friends round. You can't even go and watch it at the pub at the minute because the pubs are shut. Maybe a restaurant that serves food has got it on, but I don't know. So you are kind of your backs up against the wall. You kind of have to got to pay this money. 
or you lose out on watching your team play football. Uh, so you really are just you against the. Uh, sorry, I've been, someone's mowing, someone's trimming the bush outside. You really, are, you. <laughs> you have to add that in for context there, Niall, in case you didn't. But yeah, you really are. You, your back's against the wall. You're like, what do I do here? I can't. You know, the the situations where 15 quid could be reasonable are out the window you know so you've really got a solo unless you, you you've got a partner or a son who can all chip in that you all live with in your bubble that can all chip in but you know if you're a United fan in a house by yourself in Manchester you want to watch the game it's going to cost you 15 quid the fiver element of it that Ashley uh, brought up is, is an okay alternative. A £5, you, you could say to yourself, yeah, okay, I can get away with that because if I was going to the pub, I'd probably buy a couple of pints and that probably would be worth a fiver and, you know, you could work that out in your head. But even a tenner <laughs> for me, even a tenner for me does seem too unrealistic and too out there as, as, a, as a price to, to watch Manchester United. Uh, so that's where I'm sitting on it. And, you know, with Mike Ashley and what he's come up and said, it's a comment that he can say in... Uh, and probably try and make himself seem like this man of the people. But mm. I think, judging by my understanding, Newcastle United fans are still getting charged for their season tickets. That's what I heard in a yeah. report recently. No, you're absolutely right, they are. So yeah. I think what he's worried about is he's looking at, you know, football fans have all got a wallet. We've all got this bit of money. If it's uh, Some people might have more money than others. But if Newcastle fans are chipping away at this 15 quid uh, to watch their team on Sky, he might be worried that people turn around and go, actually, I'm, I'm going to cancel my season ticket because I can't see the end of this so I think he's trying to say this quote or make this quote happen to sort of save himself in the other respects and maybe hopefully keep Newcastle United fans still paying for their season tickets which he'll probably get more of the money from so mm. there's hidden agendas behind it because there always is like uh, he's a businessman and he there's always <laughs> money at the heart of what he, what people say yeah, absolutely. He's a businessman. And, you know, 495 is what Mike Ashley has said, the Newcastle owner, that it should be cut down to, Tom. Jamie Carragher said it was laughable that Mike Ashley wanted the price lowered when yeah. talking about it on Sky Sports, particularly when, you know, Ashley's kind of profiteered from this sort of thing of, of selling something for a, a cut price compared to what the RRP is, and that's in inverted commas. So is this Mike Ashley being a, a bit of a man of the people and sticking you know, by the fans and doing what the fans want? Or is this just him wanting the price lowered so more people pay for the, the actual game? Oh, God. Uh, Mike Ashley, the man people love to hate. Um, no, he's not trying to be a man of the people. He, he might be he might be pretending to be a man of the people. Um, I think ultimately it's probably down to the fact that he's trying to protect his own personal interests. And if that means more people are going to subscribe to the games and he's going to line his pockets a little bit more, then that's, you know, probably where his thought is coming from. Um, it does have the flip side of... of us having the conversation about is Mike Ashley being a man of the people? Um, is he, you know, all of a sudden going to be a really nice uh, person to, to run a football club and, and has the fans' interests at heart? Does he hell? You know, I, I, um, I'm not a Newcastle fan, um, but I really dislike Mike Ashley. I think that he's just not a. He he is out for one person. And that's himself. Um, and and to be fair, you know, without wanting to get into. The, the realms of, of politics and, and socialism and all that kind of stuff. You know, when you're when you're as successful as he is, you've you've probably um, stood on a few people to get to the top. And and so, you know, if he if he wants to, to charge games out of five pounds, then it's going to be ultimately with the aim of, of lining his pockets a little bit more. Um, but you know, this whole concept of, of pay per view games, I think it's worth just you know remembering that yes, it's new in the light of the Premier League. Um, people subscribe to Sky Sports and, and get a, you know a fair amount of Premier League games, but um, actually in the Football League. 
they've already got iFollow, which is a similar yeah. sort of model. You know, you pay to watch the games because they're not on television. And um, that's a tenner too, by the way. It iFollow. is, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, it, it is a model that is already working with um, inverted commas, smaller clubs. Uh, so mm. I, I don't necessarily think it's it's a bad thing. Um, and it, while people can't watch the games and make the choice to watch the games, at least give them cho- the choice to, to pay a, a few quid to watch it. Um, my worry is, um, and this is, I suppose, a question of fairness, is you know with I don't, you've alluded to this but the the sky sports and bt sports tend to play you know more games from the so-called big six premier league teams um, mm. which means teams like villa leeds um to an extent uh burnley uh, crystal palace you know these le- teams that are lower down on the table and aren't in in that echelons of, of of being in the top half of the table will end mm. up having to pay more so even if they're subscribing to sky sports their team's not going to be on it and so they're going to end up paying more money in subscription and that doesn't seem very fair you know i think there should be a happy medium um so either even out the spread of teams that are being played on Sky Sports and, and charge everyone the same or scrap it entirely. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about Mike Ashley and his standpoint from an actual Newcastle perspective a little bit later on because we've got Norman from the True Faith Newcastle United podcast who's going to come on to the show and chat to us in Floodlight Focus. But actually on Sky Sports in the same discussion that Neville and Carragher were having, Gary Neville actually said, Joe, that it's been a disaster. Nobody's watching it. We should scrap it. We should axe it entirely. Do you think that's the right call, though, with fans still unable to see their team play? And the likes of fans like Tom, who obviously knows that Aston Villa aren't going to be on TV as much as Manchester United or Chelsea or Arsenal. So do you think that's the right call? Get rid of it completely? I wouldn't say get rid of it completely because it does. You don't want to feel so isolated from the the game itself whilst we can't go into the, the stadium and see these games. But it really should be worked on a an ability to watch it where it really it doesn't hammer your pockets and cuz you know when it when it was in the the latter stage of the last season and then we were excited all these games were for free and you could watch so many different versions of them on Amazon and all these different streaming sites of them on different channels that was exciting because it, you felt quite close to the game even though we weren't there because every game was to hand whereas Mm. being so far away from it now and being behind a paid wall of such a large amount the disconnect is 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 real and and i've got to think uh, as well if if they they kind of look at this model and go this model can work for a long time fans not being in the stadium is 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 impacting the sport more than i think anyone believed it it would i as united fan i look at the game on the weekend and I see a full Old Trafford changing that game in yeah. creating a much more entertaining 90 minutes of football. Fans wouldn't have let United just sit back and hold the ball a bit more. There'd be an aggression from the fans to try and get United to push. And that comes from, you know, 75,000 people really getting behind the players' back and the back and the players not being able to just go, go, oh, well, there's no pressure here or whatever. And yeah, my manager's shouting at me, but who, who cares? So the product that the Premier League is, I think is worsening over time and football as a whole is, is becoming this this worse product where, you know, let's take, let's take comedies like The Big Bang Theory, for instance. You take away the laughter, it's absolutely atrocious. The can laughter. It's <laughs> one of the worst TV shows you'll ever watch. You need it there to kind of make it a bit better. We need fans there to make the product, to make this TV show, if you see it as, as that, the Premier League will see it as that, you know, still a world-class entertainment. But it's not at the minute. And that's because, you know, fans aren't in there. And it is really sort of the, the disconnect between us and the game. It's just growing. And they need to sort it soon. They need to sort it soon because the product will get worse. The money will get worse. Teams will become financially like unstable. It, 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 we're going towards a place 
I think could be disastrous just for football in general. And um, mm. yeah, I, 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 it's not it's not good. Yeah, honestly, if you get a chance to watch the chat between Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher on Sky yeah, yeah, Sports yeah. the other night, not often that we kind of promote what people say on TV, but certainly if you get the opportunity to watch the full 20 minutes or so, do it because fascinating to see the two viewpoints from two sort of Premier League legends, so to speak. I guess the kind of takeaway from this first section of the podcast is we agree with Mike Ashley, cut it to 4.95, that would be certainly a better price, but we still don't like him. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah. yeah, okay, sounds true. about right to me. Nice one. Mm. That's it for the first section of today's Football Social Daily, but after the break, we'll be answering your questions. All questions answered, it's AQA, the term coined by our very own Jim Salverson, where you've sent us questions and we'll answer them next here on the podcast. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sports Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. My name's Niall. I've got Joe and Tom alongside me. And now it's time to answer your questions because it's the AQA section of the podcast. We do this every single Wednesday or at least as often as we can. And if you want to send a question, all you need to do is get in touch with us via social media. Our DMs are open, so slide on in there. Insta, it's Sports Social Official. Twitter, it's at the Sports Social. And you can also find us on Facebook as well. So just search for the Sports Social and you can ping us a message on there. The first question comes from the incredibly named Treasure on Instagram. And he says, why doesn't an authority the FA EFL or Premier League review specific match incidents and punish players for misconduct i.e. Lamella's theatrics that led to Martial's red card and Pickford's horrendous challenge on Van Dijk so if I throw this one to you Joe my first point on this would be there is isn't there or at least there's supposed to be so I, I get where you're coming from here and I, I agree to a certain extent and the certain incidents have happened over the last couple of weeks where this you, you fans would be turning towards this body and go, why doesn't it exist? But in the moment and and in the way the game is played, if if this thing exists, it could create arguments that really could muck up the game or or the politics of the game could be could, could become quite messy and it could become quite a hard thing to keep track of because inst- because if you incident like let's say the Pickford thing for once that gets investigated well surely Everton could come back and go why don't you investigate this as well if you're going to investigate that because yeah. I believe this tackle that went unmissed is also quite bad and then Liverpool might count that and go hold on alright so if you want to investigate this there was also a tackle in the 30th minute the referee didn't look at that was bad you could be you know this body might going have a <laughs> load of work yeah. going on yeah. you got ages you got lots and lots of work because I mean if it's down to the referees and the referees look at the game and go hold on that was quite missed let's have a look back and revisit that that could that could potentially work Whereas if it's about clubs complaining, we could complain about anything. A Chelsea uh, would kick off about Maguire over the weekend. And what happens then if the referees do look back and go, hold on, that should have been a penalty. What happens then? Because Chelsea might go, well, we could have scored then. We could have won 1-0. We could have got three points. Do you just give Maguire a red card, but not even look at the fact that Chelsea could have, you know, got a goal at the other side of it? There's a lot of clunkiness about that suggestion and a lot of different ways you could see referees making decisions go down different routes and I think it rather than make clubs happier I think it would upset them more you might be wanting this but when it really comes to play I, I think it for me it, it would be a no-go I think with the Van Dyke Pickford thing there was all this 
discussion about the fact that Van Dyke was offside, so people were focusing on the offside rather than the challenge. Still makes it a terrible challenge, and obviously Van Dyke's yeah, got months on the sidelines because of the injury. And the reason that retrospective action wasn't taken is because the referee actually saw the incident and decided that he wasn't going to take any action. You know, if the referee mm. had his back turned and he didn't see it and the assistant referees didn't see it, then you can understand retrospective action being taken. But do you think sometimes that the game is slightly broken in that sense where you think, well, okay, well, Michael Oliver has seen it, but he should have been banned, Jordan Pickford, for that challenge. He should have been sent off. You know, but because Michael Oliver did see it, that's not been the case. And it kind of feels like a bit of an archaic way to do things. The referee can still see something and make a mistake. You know, it's just, it's natural. So, yeah, I mean, I think maybe that there's there's interesting debates to be had there, Tom. Yeah, I mean, there is. I think I mean, I think you said review specific match incidents. Um, I mean, that exists. It's called VAR and it's a pain in the backside. Um, so, you know, it already exists live in the game that a specific incident can be reviewed and decisions can be made according to, to what, you know, a supposed mistake that the referee has made. You're absolutely right. When we're, you know, watching the highlights of match of the day or whatever, it's easy for us to say, oh, we should have been sent off there or that should have been a red card. But when you're in the heat of the match, then things are a little bit different. Um I do think that you know that there is a review panel, um, you know that, that will look at specific incidents that are, you know might have led to a sending off, for example. So I know Bamford for a couple of years ago, for example, um, pretended to have been hit in the face and, and died to the ground, and, and Al Ghazi was sent off. Um, that card was rescinded, uh, and Bamford was banned for two games, um, meaning he missed the playoffs when Leeds um, bottled it again a couple of years ago. So um, you know it, it does exist. It's not very widely used, I don't think. Um, but my argument would be. If we've got VAR, what's the point in having VAR unless they're going to review these specific incidents? Um, because all of these stupid rules at the minute about, well, that's not a red card because the game has already stopped and, and it was an offside instead. You know, if somebody assaults another player on the pitch, which is essentially what Pickford did to Van Dyke, then it's a red card, regardless of whether or not Van Dyke was offside. Um, so I think that it just needs to be used with a bit more common sense. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting point that Treasure raises because I don't think this will be the last time that we see something like this happen in the Premier League this season. So certainly there are protocols in place, Treasure, but our answer would probably be, I mean, well, we don't know, I guess, what the kind of next stages are. And it's such an objective game football. Every referee is different. If you had the same referee for every game um, in a season, you know, Michael Oliver zipping from one place to the other every single weekend, then it would be a, a more level playing field. But unfortunately, that's not the way the game works. Next question comes from Robert, also on Instagram. He says, the European Super League mentioned five Premier League teams. And on the podcast, you said Spurs would miss out of those five. As a Spurs fan, this was my first thought too. But on second thoughts, aren't we really competing for that fifth place with Arsenal? Top four seems clear, given wealth and recent success. But aren't Spurs and Arsenal in similar places now financially and in terms of success in the last decade? Now, Joe, I'm going to throw this one to you because I know you love to stick the knife into Arsenal and also to Tottenham a little bit as well. <laughs> so yeah, I guess well, the, no, question, just... the question is, Robert's saying, well, probably it's fair enough that if only four Premier League teams could go into this European Super League or five Premier League teams, sorry, Spurs would miss out. They'd be that sixth team that doesn't get in. But he's arguing that their North London rivals, Arsenal, are equally sort of in a battle for that final European Super League spot if it was ever to be a thing. I don't think Arsenal should be anywhere near that Super League. I mean, let's, let's really be honest here. Ever since the early noughties, I mean, what have they really done? A couple of FA Cups there, but that's all right. 
you know what I mean? Like, I, I really don't, I really don't see Arsenal as a big team anymore. That's coming rich from coming from United fan, I know, but we're still sort of clipping the heels of the top four, and we've still got a legacy that I think is bigger than Arsenal. I mean, all Arsenal have really got is a really good stadium, and even Tottenham have come out of nowhere, and, and they've got a better stadium than them now. The 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 high class of players in Tottenham's team, I think, are outclass. You know what? Uh, what Arsenal have got the manager. He's still not proven, and he's a bit. You know, is he is he really the the new you know Pep Guardiola? As people are saying to him, because I've not seen anything of the sort. I think when you look at the recent places that Arsenal have have came in the, in the table as well. You know, if you take them for example, you take an average of the last five years, they'd be still knocking on the door of the top five. I think Spurs have come on from strength to strength. Um, stuff like the All and Often documentary also helps them out with their presence worldwide as well. You know, you know that documentary has been seen by clubs, uh, uh, fans, sorry, across the world, and such a massive platform like uh, like Amazon. So if they're trying to draw the biggest names from the Premier League, I don't think Arsenal really are in the in the mix anymore because, yeah, you know. I, I can't see it. I just can't so, see it. So if you were to pick five of the top six to go into this European league, you'd pick Tottenham over Arsenal? Yes, I would pick Tottenham over Arsenal. I just think for, for everything, if it's for the manager, Jose Mourinho, if it's for Harry Kane, one of the best strikers in the world, it's for Son as well. And you look at his, uh, you know, his love from across across Asia. It, they've got, you've got, you've got to think of these things like they would be thinking of these things, the people trying to create this Super League. It's about how the team sells. And Arsenal used to sell I don't think they sell anymore. I don't. I just don't think they do. I think they sell. All right. I, I think they'd be a good if there were six teams. They'd definitely get the number six. But for me, you know, they're all right. They've got a nice stadium. <laughs> they've got a nice stadium and a Bamiang. That's it. They've got a nice stadium and a Bamiang. Yeah, it's a fair point. It's a fair and point. Bamiang's um, not scored since he signed the contract extension. Yeah, no, it's true. And do you know what? I will hold my hands up, Robert, and say I was the one that kind of laughed off Spurs in that podcast that you talk about, and I said. If there was a European Super League, Spurs would finish bottom. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know whether Arsenal would get into it. I think you've got a very good point. And Joe, especially now that Jose Mourinho is the manager of Tottenham and Harry Kane's a top-class player and Gareth Bale's back at the club and they've got an Amazon documentary in the best stadium in football on planet Earth, I think it's a really, really interesting point. And... You know, in terms of success, I don't think Tottenham will ever overtake Arsenal. Arsenal have won more league titles than Spurs. They're the record FA Cup holders in the history of the English game. So I think Arsenal certainly, in terms of success on the field, have been um, better even in the last decade than Spurs. I, I don't think you can argue that getting into the top four is an achievement. I, I find it is an achievement, but I find it fascinating that people say, oh, yeah, well, we finished fourth. So we didn't win anything. You can finish fourth and get knocked out in the group stages of the Champions League and your hard work's been undone. So I don't know what your take on this is, Tom. I mean, Spurs versus Arsenal, it's kind of a a, a debate that's been had a lot over the last few seasons. Are Tottenham really starting to close the gap now on Arsenal? And in Joe's perspective, they're even bigger than Arsenal are now. Yeah, no, I, I agree pretty much with everything Joe said. Um, I will just sort of mention that Arsenal have won more in the last five or six years than Man United have. So, you know, does that pose the question, should Man United be in that uh, in that top five teams? Who knows? Um, but no, I, I do agree. I think Arsenal... Um, Arsenal well, they've almost... won a couple of FA Cups, haven't they? Well, yeah, exactly. Um, so, they I won mean, a European trophy not long ago. Well, all right, calm down. Um, I, think, um, <laughs> I think Arsenal are... They haven't even been in Europe. <laughs> oh, God, twisting the knife in now. Um, no, I think Arsenal, um, 
they're obviously uh, a big club and they've obviously won a lot and they've obviously got a good history um but spurs for me have overtaken them now you know they're better on the pitch they've got better facilities um i think the point about son and and the asian support is massive you know they they um they're, they're really building a global brand there um so in terms of, of what joe said about what the the powers that be and what the decision makers are after actually tottenham hotspur is probably a better bet for them than arsenal are at, at the moment yeah certainly really interesting chat that we could be having about Arsenal and Tottenham I think this season will be telling Joe I think you're absolutely right if Tottenham do finish above Arsenal this season and it looks like it could be likely with the way that Spurs have started their Premier League campaign then there certainly is a case for Tottenham getting into the top six and being fifth out of those six teams Um, obviously I hope the European Super League doesn't happen but a hypothetical question there from Robert on Instagram cheers for your question Robert this one comes from Daryl this is our next question he says what does Patrick Bamford have to do to get into the England squad Dominic Calvert-Lewin Danny Ings and Harry Kane are the main three strikers but Gareth Southgate has always said he picks players on form and Patrick Bamford is bang in form I suppose I'll come to you Tom because you mentioned earlier on that you don't like Patrick Bamford he did score three goals against your club the other day which is understandable why as to why you dislike him but certainly Daryl's got a point if you're talking about form strikers Bamford with a hat trick and a handful of goals already for Leeds in the Premier League this season he's certainly got a case to get into the England side yeah I mean he does um I think I mean yes Southgate says he picks the teams on form does he really pick the teams on form mm. if you know if we've been really yeah, honest I'd about it I mean, when, look when, how long it took him to get Grealish in the side exactly, for God's sake yeah I, you know he, he didn't start the last two but um you know so I don't I, I don't unfortunately I don't see Patrick Bamford being picked and, and put in the side anytime soon um he's had a decent start to the season you know what if he keeps that up and keeps going t- to the end of the season then absolutely he deserves a spot in there um especially when you think you know Vardy for example is is um you know retired and and all it takes is an injury to Twings or Kane or Calvert-Lewin um, and there's a space opened up so yeah no I do think if he continues the form he's in um, yeah 100% he deserves a spot in there um, I just unfortunately and, and this is probably my own personal dislike of, of Gareth Southgate um, turns out I dislike Southgate more than I dislike Bamford which I never knew um, but <laughs> if if if, uh, if Bamford wants to get in um, with Southgate in charge if Southgate makes his mind about you it's only going to take you know 10 years and, and all of the media and all of the fans in the world saying that person deserves a spot in the squad before Southgate will do anything about it I don't think he picks players on form I think he picks players based on who he likes and and and, uh, and unfortunately um, if your face doesn't fit at the moment with the England squad your face doesn't fit yeah. Uh, so yeah I think he deserves it if he, if he carries on his form I don't see it happening though yeah, Bamford, another one of those players, Joe, that didn't get a chance at Chelsea, but has gone to a number of other clubs on loan and now leads permanently and has looked absolutely fantastic and he scored yeah. a hat-trick, as we mentioned, against Aston Villa. I'm going to keep bringing that up, Tom, sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and and yeah, Gareth Southgate, he said ages ago he picked players on form, but as Tom says, what the form that Southgate has showed himself in terms of his team selection kind of lends itself to think that it might be a while before Bamford gets anywhere near the England team. Yeah, no, that Chelsea, little Chelsea curse going on, you know, getting rid of decent, decent players, uh, Salah, De Bruyne, uh, Bamford. Uh, I mean, Lukaku, I think he do it as good for United, but, you know, unbelievable at, uh, in Italy at the minute. So you'd think, is he going to be on that same path where he just gets better and better and better? And if he does, Southgate is one of those managers, I've, I've shared my dislike for him on this podcast where I just don't think he's, he's good enough or, uh, uh, and like we were saying, maybe shows a bit more... A bit more towards the top clubs, you know, even to the fact that Jesse Lingard was still getting into the squad about a year ago. Do you know what I mean? Like, come on. I mean, I'm a United fan, but oh, unbelievable. So he, he, he needs to just be consistent and really then the media get on the back of um, 
of, of Southgate, and that's when he starts paying attention. I think that's what I honestly think. If the media didn't say why isn't Grealish in the team, Grealish still won't be in the team, even if he's world world class. I just think he caves into this pressure. He's got I, his favourites, hasn't he? He's got his favourites. Favorites. Uh, you know, every manager has his favourites, I guess, and that's he's in charge. So there's nothing we can do about it. But I think if the media keep really hammering down and go look at Bamford he's, he's consistent he's scoring in the Premier League at the highest level he's got to be in the team then then you hope he takes his chances the frustrating thing for me is Southgate will say things like I mean using the Greenwich example when he, when Greenwich was in the championship and tearing that up he was saying well he's not a Premier League striker you know a Premier League player he needs to be testing himself at the highest level um, so he goes and then tests himself at the higher level and takes over a year before mm-hmm. he's selected to go into the squad um, then you look at Calvin Phillips who never played in the Premier League gets called up at straight the end of last in. season straight in straight in starting games and, and that's no disrespect to Calvin Phillips you know I think he's a really good player and a great prospect um, but it just it's one rule for one and another you know for, for Bamford or for Grealish or for whoever's in form at that time and I do think it's down to personal opinion and like you say it's um, he's in charge he can do what he wants but um, mm. I do think it's going to take for, for the media and, and for fans to just start really questioning why is Bamford not there because he's had a good start and as, as much as I hate to say mm. it you know he's looking quality at the minute yeah, 100%. And also talking about the Grealish thing, what winds me up with Southgate is when he asks, you know, when a journalist asks, oh, how was Grealish today? Another great performance from him. And he goes, yeah, Grealish was good, but what about Mason Mount? Oh, and he starts going on talking about Mason Mount. This is a totally different player, Gareth. Come on. Do you know the difference between the two? Because I certainly do. Great question, Daryl. I'm sure we'll be talking about Patrick Bamford more on the podcast as the season rolls on. Uh, but time for another break. And afterwards, we'll be talking Newcastle United because it's time for Floodlight Focus. And we'll be putting the two under the spotlight with Norman from the True Faith podcast. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. It's now time for Floodlight Focus and the spotlight will swivel all the way up to the northeast to St. James's Park where Newcastle United are the topic of conversation. And to talk to us all about the tune, we've got Norman from the Truth Faith NUFC podcast. How are you doing, Norman? I'm very well, mate. How are you? Yeah, absolutely spot on. Cheers. There's a few Newcastle fans that feature on the podcast and it feels that very much that there's no real division amongst supporters. Everyone's in the same camp in not really liking Steve Bruce too much and not really liking what happened with the takeover. We'll get to those two things. But first of all, what about your last game in the Premier League? A one apiece draw. And every Newcastle fan that I've spoken to are absolutely perplexed as to how you got anything out of that game because it was a late free kick from Murphy, which ended up securing you a point. Classic Brucey. Um, I think I think there's actually a concept now called Bruce's luck. You think uh, a lot of the games that we've got results from that looked virtually impossible during the match seem to have come down to nothing but sheer luck. You look at the Spurs game earlier on this season, we got that very fortuitous penalty in the 97th minute after being absolutely battered by Spurs for the whole game, came over the point. Same against Wolves. Now, Wolves weren't as direct as Spurs, they didn't create as many clear-cut chances, but they obviously dominated the ball, had the, the bulk of the chances. We never really looked like scoring at all. In fact, you know, the whole of the second half, we barely got out of our half. Yet again, a, a stroke of luck. We win a free kick and Jake and Murphy puts in something that you, you didn't expect to see. So, yeah, um, it, it's an odd one because the way football's been since the restrictions came in, obviously not being allowed in the stadium, it's it's made you reflect, I think, what's well, it's made me reflect and anyhow, 
on on the performances on the pitch a bit more than than being in the stadium. You know, you're in the stadium. You make out a couple of paints. You see that's a, a last minute equaliser. You it, mean it you're pissed when you watch the games, Norman? That's what you're telling me. <laughs> sometimes well, you just have to. Sometimes you have to. It's the only way to get through it. Um, so you know, your celebration is kind of reflective of that of that moment that you're in. Whereas when you're watching from home or, or from a, a quiet bar, let's see, and there's no fans in the stadium, and you you kind of you're watching the game in a different way, and you and you're kind of taking in a bit more of the actual performance itself. And when we scored these goals, the the celebration's been a bit tepid because it's just felt like oh well there you go, we've uh, managed to scrape a fortune as a result. But again, it's a it's a very odd feeling, and it's one that's becoming for me at least in any way kind of regular under Steve Bruce's. Mm. Um, stewardship air quotes sounds like it's felt a bit labored actually and particularly the football as well I think some people would argue that Newcastle's style looks a little bit labored and there are a few question marks over whether people actually thought Steve Bruce knew what he was doing when he took over from Rafa Benitez and he's had a bit of time now to bed in and as you say the results have been there but the performance levels perhaps haven't quite been there and he mentioned in a press conference a couple of months ago saying that listen we're trying to change our style of play we've brought in these new players it will take time and I think we can see the results of that on the pitch already well that was a couple of months ago and I'm not even a Newcastle fan and I'm still waiting to see any particular change in style I mean it was always going to be tough for Steve Bruce taking over from Rafa Benitez because he was just adored by the Newcastle fans but do you think that he should be doing more? Do you think that there is a, a real argument for Steve Bruce not getting the best out of this Newcastle's, Newcastle squad? Well, it's interesting you said the results have been there a second ago because that is a narrative that comes through with your Sky and talk sport type pundits, uh, possibly some people working in football journalism. But the reality is we've won six games in 24. Our last 24 games have been six wins. And a couple of those ends have been fortuitous. A 10-man Sheffield United or a last-minute win against uh, against Chelsea. There haven't really been any good kind of edge-of-your-seat performances where we've dominated the games. Okay, the West Ham game, we played pretty well. We still conceded 10 shots in the box to them. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a dominating a sort of a dominating performance. It was it was a good performance. And and this is this is the problem. You mentioned style there. We don't actually have a style. Um, and I think. Bruce, should he be getting more out of that squad? I believe that any manager should be getting more out of that squad because there are some very good players in there. That the problem I've got is, is that I don't believe that Steve Bruce is the man to do that. You have to look at his career as a manager, especially his recent career. Um, it was on a downward trajectory. You know, he he had a, a huge budget at Aston Villa, and they were in the bottom half of the Championship when he was sacked after one win in nine games. Um, his record at Sunderland in the Premier League that went south very quickly and um, he had a fallen up with the fans as he did at Villa and the appointment I'd imagine it came as a gigantic shock to him I don't think he was necessarily the club's first choice in fact I believe that um, Arteta was high up on the list and that that didn't come off for, for I would imagine obvious reasons um, so he was finished in my, in my eyes as a fan, and, and I'm sure there are other fans who think this, he, he was a manager who no other club in the Premier League would have contemplated employing. And I think we're seeing the reality of that now. I don't think Steve Bruce is the man to take Newcastle United forward, whatever forward consists of. However, under Mike Ashley, the reality is, the aim is to maintain our place in the Premier League. Now, if Bruce has a solid group of players of a decent level of ability, that is probably going to be achieved. It'll be grim, it'll be miserable, it'll be a struggle, but we probably will stay in the Premier League. So to a certain extent, you could say if that happens, two seasons off the spin with Steve Bruce, 
mission accomplished. Obviously, as a fan, it's a very painful and quite depressing watch, and it's very easy to disengage from it because there is nothing to get excited about, even if we do have exciting players. Someone actually threw a cabbage at Steve Bruce's head when he was the manager of Aston Villa. And I think that just goes to show the discontent that those fans had with Steve Bruce that people were pelting him with cabbages. Um, I'm not sure we'll see that anytime soon because obviously the fans are, are locked out of St. James's oh, for the time cabbage. being. <laughs> never throw I like cabbage. cabbage too much. I like cabbage too much. No yeah, missile. So Don't waste a good it. cabbage on Steve exactly. Bruce. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Mike Ashley because what has happened to him? over the summer this takeover with the Saudis fell through and we can talk about that in a sec but certainly he's put his hand into his pocket more than usual and I wouldn't say he splashed the cash on players but certainly we've seen him you know maybe spend a little bit of money on players in recent times and now he's come out over the last couple of days and said that 14.95 is too expensive for pay-per-view um, a man who's notorious for lining his own pockets has come out and said something that actually sides with the Newcastle fans which I thought was quite interesting Although, do you think there's a little bit more to it than that? Do you think that maybe he wants the price reduced for PPV so more people pay for it and therefore that kind of helps him out a little bit in terms of the coffers? Or do you think we've seen a general change in Mike Ashley? Or do you think this is kind of still proceed with caution? Every time Mike Ashley's done something that you could deem as relatively positive over the last, whatever is it, 12, 12, 13 years, we've hoped that it's been the turning of a corner. He's had this epiphany. The reality is he's a hard-nosed, neoliberal, Thatcherite businessman and the, there is one bottom line and that's money. So as far as, I'm, as, far as I can see, based on the experience of, of um, you know, following him quite closely as a Newcastle fan all these years, he is doing it for his own purposes. And yet, I guess I would look at it like this. Look at his Sports Direct model. That is basically stack them up as high as you can, sell Cut them price. as cheap as you possibly can, yeah. exactly 70% off and just basically make as much money as you can from selling it that low. And and I'd, I'd guess that probably that, that mentality has probably been applied to the um, pay-per-view uh, comment that he came out with the other day. Now, don't get me wrong, do I agree with him? Well, yes, I do. I mean, I, I personally think if you're paying for Sky or BT Sports, you, you shouldn't have to pay in anyways. There shouldn't be a £5 fee. If you, if you want to buy the matches a one-off for £5, then that's fair enough. Um, but... I don't think there's any, as I say, um, moment of, of compassion, epiphany, and um, you know, I'm down with the, the the work in person kind of mentality. It's there's always a there's always an, an ulterior motive, and that ulterior motive for me would tend to be cash. And even even when he's spending money as a manager of Newcastle United Football Club, you know, how much how much is a percentage of Newcastle United generated money is he actually spending? I, I don't know. Um, how much of it is his money that he's spending? Probably very minimal. And ultimately, he's bringing in players he tends to spend money Mike Ashley when he knows that you know it might be about to hit the wall so let's say a few years ago he brought in Steve McLaren and we'd only just avoided relegation the previous season we went out and bought a lot, a lot of players in the summer Jeannie Wayne Allen for example Florian Tovan Alexander Mitrovic and a few years before that we were in, in relegation positions around the Christmas time the January transfer window we went and signed like four or five players from France so he tends to gamble and when his gamble looks like it's back firing, he'll go and put more money on it. And that tends to be the model of bringing in the players when things look bad. And obviously, Bruce was backed a little bit in the summer. And that, to me, is probably more indicative of the fact that he was very concerned about the real prospect of relegation, as mm, opposed to wanting to progress mm, as a club. I think it's a really good point. How angry are you at the Premier League for not backing the takeover from the Saudis? It was The silence was deafening, from my perspective as a neutral, looking from the outside in at this possible takeover, where... You know, when takeover talks happen surrounding Newcastle, it's always you kind of 
cynical and you're skeptical because there's been so many false dawns regarding takeovers but this one started to pick up momentum it started to build and everyone kind of thought well hang on this is a serious bid that the Saudis have launched with the Ruben brothers and Amanda Staveley involved as well and then all of a sudden the Premier League took their time and I know that Project Restart happened and we've got a pandemic on and there are other fingers that could be pointed in terms of why the delay was there but certainly the longer it went on the more I felt that it was going to fall through and eventually it did. Now it's been revealed that the Premier League actually did end up rejecting the takeover bid so how annoyed are you as a Newcastle fan that the takeover bid was rejected or do you think that there are grounds for for reason as to why they took that decision? Okay so from a a sort of detached, objective perspective, the fact that the Premier League rejected it, based on the information that I've read, is is a really terrible decision. The the, the reason behind it, I, I I can't I can't fathom. And obviously, we have this this talk of the the bigger the bigger clubs, you know, air quotes breaking away and forming a European Super League. And I think to myself, did the Premier League have this in mind, and did they not want another team? to be at the table with absolutely loads of money in the bank who are, you know, willing to, to buy success. I don't know. I mean, that, that you know, that it sounds like the stuff of conspiracies, but you, you just you just never know in terms of how the, the Premier League operates because there is that much money involved. There is that much power concentrated in the hands of very few clubs. You, you genuinely don't know what the, the actual thought process was behind it. From a personal mm-hmm. subjective point of view, I have to be entirely honest with you, and I know I'm in the minority here, I was never necessarily comfortable with the thought of being owned by the Saudi Arabian government, um, and that's down to of you know the the, the well stated, um, I guess information on on you know Saudi uh, domestic policy and how they treat people and obviously that, that the war that's going on in Yemen. There are lots of there are lots of issues there. We know that and on a personal level, it did sit uncomfortably sure. with me. So when the takeover deal didn't happen, I can't lie and say that I was de- I was devastated. Obviously, what you want us to see is, is for your club to do as best as it possibly can. But at the same time, the longer it dragged on, the more you thought about it, it the kind of more disengaged. That's on a personal level. However, if the Premier League knocked back that takeover bid for reasons that, you know, we, we can't really uh, guess, but maybe reasons that are, are to do with, as I say, the Premier League's own perspective on on the bigger clubs. Then, then that's disgraceful. Nothing, nothing other than that. It's disgraceful because if the bid was genuine, the money was there, and the past fit and proper tests, then why the heck have they knocked it back? The timing was pretty dreadful as well, considering we're in the middle of a pandemic, as I mentioned before. So, does that kind of give you any hope whatsoever that in these testing financial times, that someone might come in and buy? Newcastle and Mike Ashley might get that 300 million that he wants for the club. It's going to be tough at the moment with the with the pandemic. Um, I would love, love, love to see it happen. I mean, you know, the the end game really, and you know, the Newcastle United supporters trust is doing really good work at the moment. The end game I, I would love to see is, is is the German Steiner model, at least 51% fan ownership or or entire fan ownership. Mm. I mean, that's that's the impossible dream, right? Um, but in the meanwhile. In the meanwhile, you do have to cling to the hope that, that someone will come in and, and put that money down because three hundred million pounds for a club the size of Newcastle United, in you know, in context of how much money spent in football, I mean, one player Neymar cost two hundred million. This is an entire football club with a, a huge fan base, and ultimately, the right person in charge yeah. investing in the right areas. If you generate a modicum of success at Newcastle United Football Club, I mean, you're going you're not only going to you're going to make money off it, you're going to make your, your profile is going to increase. It it's it's all set up for for huge success. So. You've always had to cling to hope that it'll happen. But ultimately, we've had Mike Ashley for, what, 13 years now, coming up to 14. And every time you feel that we're turning the corner, you know, you kind of uh, realise there's another corner at the end of that corner. And it's 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 tough to get 
too excited when it has been just years and years of kind of repeated knockbacks. Mm. But as I say, the the you know the the hope isn't completely extinguished. Understandable. Finally, then, where do you think you're going to finish? It feels like the majority of Toon fans are thinking bottom half this season for sure. Oh, I'll definitely be bottom half. But I'll, I'll go out on a limb and I'll say anywhere between twelfth and. 16th there you go how's that (laughs) love it love it norman it's been great to chat to you there's more passionate newcastle talk on the true faith podcast where can people check out the podcast Uh, go to the website um, true-faith.co.uk or twitter at tfnufc or on soundcloud just type in your search bar um, newcastle united podcast true faith and you'll find it pleasure to have you on norman grateful for your time mate thanks so much Thanks, lads. Cheers. So that's another episode of Football Social Daily done and dusted. My thanks to Norman, to Joe and to Tom as well for joining us on today's show. Don't forget, you won't ever miss another episode of Football Social Daily. If you hit the subscribe button, no matter how you listen to your podcast, all you need to do is hit subscribe or follow or whatever it may be. And that way you'll be bang up to date with all the goings on in the Premier League every single day of the football season. Because, of course, even including weekends, there is a brand new show seven days a week. But that's it for today's and we'll catch up with you again tomorrow football social daily from sports social find us on instagram at sports social official for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.